This week on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Okay, so just quick recommendation, quick grade for this. If you don't want any spoilers, I'm going to tell you right now, go see this movie. Um, if you haven't seen the first two, you should probably see those first. But otherwise, go see Guardians 3. It's really good. Um, and that's like a <laughs> that's like an understatement, right? Because the last couple of Marvel movies um, have kind of been a mixed bag for a lot of people. But I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3... It's a bit harder to criticize it, and it feels more uh, genuine, and it feels more like the parts of the MCU that people enjoy. Um, and I definitely think it's just one of the best movies we've had in a while. Um, I haven't, you know, enjoyed a Marvel movie this much since, like, uh, Spider-Man 3. Like, like um, for, uh, what is it? No Way Home, you know? But, um, <clears throat> no, go see this movie. Um, we're going to get into spoilers a little bit. I'm going to try my best not to, um, rant, not, not like, like ramble, like ramble on too much. Cause there's a lot to this movie. There's a lot we could talk about. And I'm sure there are a lot of reviewers who have talked about things that I'm not going to talk about and vice versa. So I'm just going to talk about the stuff that I want to talk about with this movie. Um, it's really good. I cried like three times at this movie um, a lot of it had to do with Rocket Raccoon, but, uh, there's, a uh, the end, I cried at the ending, and, like, that's, <laughs> that's a good yardstick, at least for me, if, if I feel like a movie is good. If, if I care so much that I'm crying over the scenes, that, that tells me it's a good movie. Um, this is, of course, the third, and in quotations, final Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, directed by James Gunn. Now again, we could spend a lot of time talking about James Gunn, how he how he was you know, fired and then rehired, how he went to DC. This is supposedly his last thing for a while with Marvel. After this, he's going to go run Warner Brothers' entire like DC movie um, operation, which I trust. Um, I loved his Suicide Squad movie. I loved uh, Peacemaker. So I only have high hopes for what he's going to do with the DC universe. But I will say. After this movie, it feels like such a, like, it, it's, it's like, it's like James Gunn was like, yeah, I'll come back and do the third Guardians, but I'm going to do it so well. You're going to wish you didn't, like, fire me. You're going to wish I didn't go over to the, the competition. Like, it, it feels like a real power move, you know, for him to come and do Guardians 3, make it so good. And then, okay, bye guys. I'm going over here now. Um, it's... It feels very Jack Kirby of him to do something so amazing uh, and then jump ship because of how he was treated. So, you know, say what you will about the way James Gunn does his movies and stuff. This movie feels the most his style. It feels the most his, like, send-off to the Guardians. Um, and that's good. You know, I, I gave a lot of crap to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness um, for a lot of different reasons. But something that Multiverse of Madness did that I, I kind of forgot the Guardians movies do too is like it really leans into the director's style of making a movie. Um, you know, a Sam Raimi movie is going to feel like a Sam Raimi movie. And I've seen enough James Gunn movies now to get what his kind of vibe is. Um, this Guardians movie is a bit darker than the other two. It is a bit more violent than the other two. Um 
and I would say it's a bit more vulgar too. Like he, th this is the first Marvel movie to have the F word in it, which is like, and it's used very well in this. Um, but it's crazy to, because, you know, you watch Suicide Squad and Peacemaker and, and that those projects are full of blood, gore, violence, um, profanities, just like, it's full on what James Gunn wants to do. And, you know, he's unchained and that stuff. So when he comes and does Guardians 3, he gets a little bit more into a comfort zone. Like, yeah, you know, I am going to drop an F-bomb. I am going to um, have people get decapitated. It's going to be a bit more violent and dark. Um, and I think that's fine. I think that's necessary, you know? I, I know for a long time there was always a talk about, okay, when is Marvel going to finally do, like, an R-rated movie? And I think this is as close as we're going to get for a while until, like, Blade actually gets made. But, you know... I really prefer this to just slapping an R rating onto a movie because it's it's creatively dark, it's creatively mature, and the fact that Guardians Three deals with more mature subjects and, and and imagery doesn't take away from the fun that's in this movie and just the raw emotion that's in this movie because ultimately, just like the other two, it is about these characters. It about is about a found family of Guardians who, um are all very broken people and they come together and it's beautiful. So, you know, I really don't have any, you know, worries about James Gunn picking up the ball over at DC. Like he's doing the next Superman movie and I couldn't be more excited because I think he understands the material that he's given and he does just the right blend of things. People are scared that he's going to do Superman and it's going to feel like Peacemaker. It's not right. Peacemaker feels like Peacemaker because of the subject matter. Um, and knowing how uh, genuine and just, like, positive these Guardians movies can be uh, makes me hopeful for what he's going to do with Superman. So, as always, uh, we're going to talk about the cast, we're going to talk about some notes I have, uh, and then the future and how scary it is. So, I, I really, I'm trying so hard, guys, not to yammer on and on, because there's going to be a lot to talk about. But I'm going to try to do this like, the most time-sensitive way I can. Um, so first of all, we have Chris Pratt returning as Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, um, right off the heels of playing Super Mario in the Super Mario movie. Um, and he does well. He does very well in this. I was reminded by listening to, like, other reviews and stuff that, like, when, when, <laughs> when uh, Chris Pratt is being Star-Lord in other movies, he's kind of supposed to be, like, an idiot, which, um, like, what I mean is, in the Three Guardians movies, his character is pretty consistent, you know? Um, and I'd say his character is a good one. I enjoy his character throughout these movies. Um, but, um, in Infinity War, he's kind of made to be a bit more incompetent and a bit more stupid. And I know James Gunn had kind of a problem with that, um... One of the advantages of James Gunn having all three of his Guardians movies is that he's able to have consistent character growth and, and development. And there's a lot of stuff with the characters in this movie that you can connect back to um, other movies in the Guardians trilogy. And I think other than Peyton Reed, James Gunn is the only guy to have all three movies under his directing credit. Um, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, they've all had like one guy who did two of them, and then one guy who did a third one. Like, you know? So, that that's all to say that I enjoy Chris Pratt. 
his performance in this a lot. I enjoy where they they kind of put Peter Quill because what I didn't notice until um, after getting out of the movie and thinking about it is that Peter Quill's thing in this movie is that the Gamora he knew that he was in love with is gone and she's replaced with basically a a time-displaced, younger, more brutal version of Gamora. A Gamora that doesn't love him or know him or anything like that. And the fact that his Gamora is dead and gone leaves him dealing with a lot of grief. And, like, the movie opens up and he's, like, drinking himself silly, you know? Um, that kind of goes away pretty quick. Like, I, I, I noticed just a lot of drastic changes in this with Peter over the course of the movie. And I think what is super clever that I haven't really heard anyone talk about is that you kind of see Peter go through the stages of grief in this movie. Um, you know, a lot of it is pretty obvious. Depression, that's him at the beginning. Um, bargaining, there are parts where he's trying to convince past Gamora to, like, like be open and, and try to be a part of the team and, and try to accept them. Like, he's basically asking her, like, just try to be the Gamora that I know. Um, there's, I'm trying to remember the stages now. There's anger. Um, there's a part at the beginning where he's telling Drax they're not going to kill anybody on this mission. Even though way later, when he's in a room with the High Evolutionary and he's with Groot, he tells Groot, kill all of them. So that's, I would say that's definitely a shift. That's a bit more on the angry side. Um, oh man, I can't even remember what the other one is. I remember acceptance, but there's one more. Let's see. I think it's denial. Is he ever, I guess he's denying it when Gamora's around and he's trying to act like it's the same Gamora. Yeah, I'll I'll give that denial. And then acceptance is obviously at the end where he understands Gamora is not the same person that he fell in love with. Um, But yeah, no, I like him in this movie. It's weird because he he doesn't wear his mask uh, throughout the movie. He doesn't have like his little jets that go on the side of his belt. Uh, It's a very depowered version of of Star-Lord, but still pretty effective in a fight. There's a really cool fight scene in the hallway with the whole team. And part of his segment of that is, like, leaving electrical devices on a bunch of his uh, his enemies. But, yeah, dude, I, I don't know where... Because I remember there was a lot of... I don't know. I feel like Peter Quill and Chris Pratt in general, both of them get kind of a raw deal here and there. Um, but in this movie, he really brought it. Um, I'm really happy where his character ends up by the end. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they end up doing with him later. Um... I did not expect Star-Lord to be, like, one of my favorite characters out of this movie. But, like, you give the guy some more trauma, you know? You have him confront stuff that he doesn't want to talk about. And it's interesting. And I think I think that it's really going to help his character going forward. Uh, let's see. Zoe, Zeld- Zoe Saldana returns as Gamora. Um, it had to be a lot of fun for her because she, she gets to play a um, more brutal, less... Uh, sincere version of Gamora, but still one that gets to change and develop over the course of the movie. Um, It's cool, you know? I I really didn't know what the plan was with Gamora after Endgame, but I think this take on it, 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 it's cool. (laughs) It's cool, I swear. No, I mean, like, what makes it really cool is that in the comics, Gamora is supposed to be, like, the deadliest woman in the galaxy, 
Um, she's like this big deal, you know, warrior, space warrior. And you never really got that in, um, in the movies as much, you know, because of Star-Lord and because of Gamora's development and her trying to not be like her father, Thanos, you don't see Gamora as a very deadly person a lot of the time. But in this version, this Gamora is, you know, without patience, she's brutal, she's violent, she just wants to kill things and move forward with whatever she's doing. Um, and that's entertaining on this team of characters who used to be pretty brutal and pretty rude, but a lot of them have developed as people. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's refreshing to see her um, change in that way, like like start different, end different. It's still Gamora, but you know her adventures might be a little bit different going forward. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see if this past Gamora shows up in other places, just because she's so different from the other one. Um, Dave Bautista gets to play Drax again. Um, he wears a shirt for this movie. <laughs> a lot of it, I'm guessing, so there's less makeup involved when he's in the chair. Um, he's he's good in this too. Um, I, I can't think of a lot of good things to really say about him. There's a bit, I'm a little confused by this, there's a, bit, there's a bit at the beginning of the movie where he tells a villain to pick on someone their own size, and then later there's a whole conversation about he, how he, he doesn't understand metaphors, because um, that's a running joke with Drax. He doesn't understand metaphors and stuff like that. So I was a little confused as to why, they, like, when, when they first showed that scene, like, you know, the beginning, when Drax says, pick on someone your own size, I I got that as, oh, Drax learned what expressions are. That means a lot, you know? Um, but I don't know if that was the intention or, I, I, I don't know, I guess because fighting a guy who is your size is picking on someone their own size, he was being literal. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it's just weird to hear him say have an expression. Um, other than that, there's a whole bit about him being really good with kids. Um, and I love that. He, even when he's like rude, like he says rude things, but it's in a tone of like someone who's good with kids. I think that's great. Um, you know, Drax has kind of been, I don't say he's been like lacking as a character in these movies because he hasn't. He's been fun. He's been funny. He, he's a, He's a good character. But to me, it always felt kind of superficial to have him around when Gamora has, like, the same amount of strength. She's just as violent. It really kind of felt like we had two people who are very similar in what they bring to the team. Um, but showing Drax be more fatherly and more sensitive to these kids and everything, um, it brings something that a lot of the Guardians didn't have, and I think that's good. Um, not much else I can say about Drax in this. Uh, let's see. Karen Gillan is Nebula. This is a character that went through a lot of change over the course of the movies. Um, of all of these characters, she's been, like, an Avenger longer than, like, a lot of these guys. Um, mainly because of that five-year gap with Infinity War and Endgame. But, like, I always liked Nebula. I think it's really cool that she got to be, you know, part of Infinity War and Endgame in the way that she was. Um, and her making that full transition to now being a guardian and trying to build the society on nowhere. I think that's great, you know? And I think it probably meant more to her character knowing that Gamora had died. And to see this other Gamora and be like, oh, this is how she used to be before, like, 
Star-Lord and the rest of them knew her before she had friends. This is what the Gamora I had to deal with. And now that Nebula has grown up and this Gamora is from the past, it's like Nebula being like, I've matured past this, but it's still uncomfortable to see her. Like, like we, we all know someone who has grown up past, like, the annoying person in their life, and that annoying person is still the same, but, like, the person, the other person's grown up past it. So that is a really real character interaction um, that I think is good. And I think Nebula's good in this. I like that they kind of, they don't outright go with Nebula and Peter having a thing. It feels way more um, like a friendship and like, you know, um, there's no, there's not, like, I don't feel like there's a will they, won't they to it. I know they hint to that kind of about Nebula's eyes and stuff. I don't know. I picked it up more as like a legitimate friendship, even like a brother-sister role, considering what Gamora was to Star-Lord. Um... And I just think she's great in this movie. I, I love Karen Gillan as an actress. I think Nebula's a really fun character. Um, and seeing her get to be actually happy and her being a leader. Like, she's the one that tells Drax, like, you're not meant to be a destroyer, you're meant to be a father. And, of course, she would know that, considering her adopted father, Thanos, like, tortured her all her life. So, huge character growth from Nebula. She really, she really made a big impression in this movie. Um, as did Mantis, who is played by Palm Clementif. Um, Mantis has always been, again, one of those kind of extra guardians. She's been there since the second movie. She and Drax were the main two characters of a Christmas special. I love Mantis. I, I don't know why. <laughs> like, I think it's just, uh, she reminds me a lot of, like, Starfire from the Teen Titans cartoon. Um, and it also just helps that her power set is really cool and unique. Like, not like there's not a lot of other MCU characters that can do what Mantis does. Whereas, like, at least half of the characters in this universe have super strength. Um, and, you know, her design, them kind of leaning more into her being Peter's sister is really cool. Um, she gets moments in this movie where she gets to interact with Nebula and Drax a bit more. And I think that, like... Her interacting with other characters works really well. And, uh, you know, again, I, I like where her character ends off. Um, she wants to go kind of figure out who she is by herself. Um, and I can respect that because, again, she's been a supporting character this whole time. What is she going to do on her own? Hopefully not become anything like Mantis from the comic books because that, that would suck. But, um, yeah, Mantis is good in this. Uh, not much else I can say there. Um more Mantis appreciation, I think, is deserved. She's she's really funny. <laughs> she's a really funny character. Um, Sean Gunn gets to reprise his role as Kraglin, the former right-hand man of Yondu before Yondu's death in the second movie. Uh, Kraglin, of course, picked up a fin and the arrow that Yondu used throughout his movie appearances. And this movie... Uh, at like the zero hour where he where he's dependent on the most, Kraglin gets to use the arrow to defend the people of nowhere in a really cool scene where they bring back Yondu just for like a a brief minute. That's really awesome. Um Yeah, that's that's it. There's a running joke between him and Cosmo the Space Dog. That's all I can say about Sean Gunn as Kraglin. Thank you, James Gunn, for giving your brother a job. <laughs> uh Maria Bakalova voices Cosmo the Space Dog. Cosmo's been, like, I think Cosmo cameoed in the first movie in the Collector's Collection area. 
Um, but in this movie, we actually get to have Cosmo the dog be a character. I think I think Cosmo shows up in the Christmas special too. But they finally built her a communication device so she can talk to people. She Cosmo is a psychic space dog, by the way. She's from Earth, but she's a spice. She's a psychic Russian space dog. Um, gender swapped for this too. I guess um, Gunn wanted to have her be more inspired by Laika. I think that's the name of the actual Russian dog that was sent to space. Um, man, that's just brutal, isn't it? You freaking planet Hulk to that dog, sending them to another planet to be a gladiator. Um, but yeah, she gets, she, you know, it's funny. When she gets an action scene where she uses her psychic powers, you kind of figure out Cosmo might be, like, one of the strongest guardians because of her telekinesis. Um, and I think that's awesome that one of the strongest characters in this team is a dog. Um, but it plays a big part later. Because a lot of this movie has to do with, like, animal rights. And by the end of this, Cosmo is a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, like, half the team, or I guess, like, part of the team, is made up of animals, you know? So, that's cool. Cosmo's cool. Um, Cosmo is a, a good dog and is vital to, you know, the latter half of this movie, I would say. Uh, and then Vin Diesel returns as Groot. We really, you know, I expected more from Groot in this movie. Technically, this is Groot 2, right? This is, the, this is the one that regrows a baby and then a teenager, and now he's, like, swole young man Groot. Um, Effect-wise, I think he looks really good. I love the way that he, when Groot gets bigger, he's more rooty and less of a tree because he doesn't have as much mass. He's, like, compact, and then when he gets bigger, uh, he expands, like, a net of, of roots and stuff. It's, really, it's a cool-looking effect, um, Groot can do a lot now. He can pilot the ship. He can fire laser guns, which is really cool. Um, he's still strong enough to be, like, the heavy hitter of the Guardians, I think. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess just between how much Groot has been loved, like, especially, like, Baby Groot and the I Am Groot, like, shorts that were on Disney+, Plus, I kind of just expected more from Groot, especially because this movie is a lot about Rocket Raccoon. I kind of expected more from Groot, maybe figuring out how Groot and Rocket even met each other. I don't know. Um, but regardless, Groot's not bad in this. Um, there's a bit at the end where he, he says, I love you guys. And just, just so you don't interpret it the wrong way, at the end, when Groot tells the Guardians that, you know, I love you guys, he... He isn't saying those words specifically. It's more like for the first time the audience is understanding Groot. Um, which is supposed to be part of the send-off. That we, the audience, are part of this family now. So we understand Groot. Um, since they established the more time you spend with Groot, the easier it becomes to understand him. Um, so that's really cool. Groot's just good in this. You know, <laughs> he he doesn't do a whole lot. Um, but he's still cool. They don't put him in clothes, which is, you know... Whatever. I don't really have a comment about that. I just think it's interesting they didn't put him in clothes. He wore clothes when he was a baby, so I don't know. <laughs> um, but Groot's cool. Again, weird that he doesn't have more to do, but I guess he's more of the silent type in this lifetime. Um, and then, you know, the center of this movie, this is really his movie, Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket Raccoon. The movie's about him, his fucked up past, um... The whole movie is about saving his life, which I think is good. Like, you don't need a complicated plot. All you need is, like, the motivation is Rocket is dying, and the characters in the movie have to figure out where he comes from so they know how to help fix him. 
um, which is great. I love that. Uh, he's good in this. Rocket has grown so much from his... Like, you look at him in the first movie and then him in the third, and he's grown so much. Um, he's a lot more kind of zen. He's a lot more chilled out now. Uh, you can tell he cares a lot about the, the other Guardians. And in this, you kind of figure out why he's so gung-ho on not leaving people behind and protecting his friends um, because of the friends that he lost. And a lot of those scenes were were really tough, and we'll talk about that later. But, you know... Um, Rocket was, you know, I think holding out this long for his origin story was smart, you know, because he gave us just enough time to really like Rocket and enjoy him. He got to be an Avenger for a little while. It was good. He got to hang out with Thor. It was great. Um, but learning where he comes from now gives you a whole new perspective on why Rocket acts the way that he does. Um, and towards the end, when he gets to save the other animals and, you know, team up with his friends to fight the High Evolutionary... But, like, not outright kill him. You really feel how much Rocket has grown up, you know? He doesn't want to leave people behind. He doesn't want to, you know, rely on revenge to make him feel better. Rocket truly has grown into, like, his own, like, hero character. And fairly, they name him, like, the new leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that's great. Um, it's like Rocket's been the secret heart of the team this whole time. And he's just kind of been uncovering that as the movies go on so i love that rocket raccoon is great in this movie <sighs> man i would i would have never guessed either right because he and Groot are like the cgi characters like the the fun weird characters on the team but like this movie does so much for his his personality and his character um it's commendable and i really enjoyed him in this movie uh let's see will poulter i think that's how you say his name will poulter he plays adam warlock who is teased in guardians 2 um he's like uh he's another superman <laughs> he's another like uh superman another marvel superman um a lot like with mantis adam warlock is a character who was created by a guy who became super attached to his creation was created by a guy who wanted to make his creation like the main character of like the universe like what i'm saying about adam warlock is also true of mantis in the comics right is like these people were created by writers who wanted their character to be the centerfold of the whole universe. Um, and James Gunn was just like, I'm going to take the basics and then just run with that. You know, Mantis looks like a bug lady. All right, she's a bug lady. Adam Warlock is a golden god man. Okay, he's a golden god man. We're not doing like he's the messiah of the universe. We're not doing he's the... Um, the center of all good. He's the carrier of the soul stone enemy of Thanos. We're not doing any of that shit. Adam Warlock is just a space god. And when he shows up to try and capture Rocket Raccoon, he, you know, he does damage, dude. He breaks Nebula's limbs. He and Drax have this big drag out fight. Um, it's pretty incredible. Um, and like, just like the, like the beginning of the film is Adam Warlock showing up and wrecking shit. And you get a sense of how powerful this guy is um, and how, like, when the Guardians least expect it, this guy just shows up and, like, he can just turn over everything in a matter of moments because of how much more powerful he is than any of the Guardians. And then for the rest of the movie, they kind of, I got, like, um, Prince Charming vibes from this guy. You know, between him and his mother, who is kind of like a <clears throat> fairy godmother-esque character, 
those are the vibes I was getting. And that's not like a, a knockdown at these characters. I enjoy the fact that Adam Warlock is gullible and stupid. And like, he's just following where his mother tells him to go, you know, he, but at the same time, like he's basically a newborn, you know, he's, he's a really smart child character who sees a little weird animal and says, this is my pet now and I will not kill it, mother. <laughs> you know, and he, he, he's simple, you know, you tell <laughs> Show him we mean business. Okay, I'll kill him. Oops, was that was that wrong? You said to show him we mean business. That's like the most effective way of showing that we mean business. I like it. And it's like, it's one thing to have your characters be dumb, like Drax. But it's another thing to have them be just like simple and, and like not understand things and, and need growth. But because he's born out of a cocoon and thrown right into the battle to go catch Rocket Raccoon and stuff... You can you can understand why Adam Warlock is like trying to figure things out beyond just being a weapon. He's curious. He's he's like looking at things. He's not paying attention because there's so much stimuli around him. And he's trying to just absorb it all and understand it all. Um, so I really think he's he's cool in that aspect. I think introducing him this late was really ballsy. I think the only thing I don't like about Adam Warlock is that I expected him to turn over and be good a lot sooner. Basically, after his mother is, like, killed as a result of the High Evolutionary, I kind of expected him to stop trying to kill Gamora and Rocket. Um, but other than that, I thought he was really good in this, and I hope that they do end up doing more Guardian stuff, because I, I want to see more from Adam Warlock. He's a new character, and I think there's a whole lot of potential to him. Will Poulter, holy crap, dude. Like, this guy is, like, the bad kid from the Maze Runner, and he just shows up golden buff and like arthurian it's incredible um but yeah a super cool character to enter into this universe um i think he should definitely get a show or a movie at least because like he could carry it and not just because he's adam warlock but because he's just a well-written character um really cool really cool and uh finally the character i want to talk about is uh the high evolutionary who's played by let's try this name uh chuck woody Iwuji? It's a Nigerian name, so I had trouble with it. But uh, <laughs> this guy played a villain in Peacemaker as well, which is where I first saw him. So he's one of James Gunn's guys. Um, incredible, dude. I already liked him in Peacemaker. He is extraordinary as the High Evolutionary. The High Evolutionary, by the way, is one of the few characters in comic books I just have no patience or time for. I never liked the High Evolutionary I never understood him. I never really got his whole deal. You know, when I looked into him prior to this movie and I found out in the comics, he's just a human from the 1920s who got into cloning and super science and stuff. He's not an alien. He's not like a, a god character or whatever. He's just a dude who wears a suit and does super science. I was so disappointed. His actual name is like Howard or something. Um, But in this, he gets to be some weird cosmic guy with with a robocop face who and oh god like there, okay there's a lot of things right first of all so good to have a marvel villain with such personality you know uh and, and like the personality it's not like he's competing i guess there's other there's like guardians and then you know there's other characters but like i guess in the case of someone like kang or modok 
it was like, okay, I want to pay attention to one of these guys because one of them is really good, but they're both kind of taking attention away from each other. I want to laugh at Modoc, but I want to really get invested in what Kang's saying. But in the case of the High Evolutionary, like, he's just owning every scene he's in. And what I appreciate is that he is serious, he is menacing, but he has he has moments where he breaks down and he gets annoyed and frustrated and, like, that's good. That's what I want, you know, for this, like, weird alien mad scientist. Like, his, his ego, ironically, his ego, in, in, in like, it affects so much about his character. You know, he, he is this, like, I'm smarter than everyone else, I'm better than everyone else kind of character who is, like, composed and everything. But after he creates Rocket Raccoon... And Rocket is shown to be incredibly smart at, like, an infant age. The High Evolutionary freaks out. He's like, how did you know how this science works? Like, I did not teach you any of this stuff. You couldn't have been studying it, studying it in your cage. How, how, how can you understand things so well? I created you, and I couldn't figure this problem out, but you could. How did that happen? Like, he can't handle the idea that something that he creates could ever become better than him and what i also love is that the high evolutionary isn't a villain that you can sort of side with and like understand their perspective like loki thanos vulture uh killmonger uh we had so many villains in the mcu who make pretty decent points you know it's almost like these people shouldn't be villains and the only reason they are villains is because they kill people. They kill innocent people. Um, but with the High Evolutionary, there there is no sympathy. Like, this dude doesn't want to save the universe. He doesn't want to, you know, raise a better society by destroying everything below him. Like, he, he's a creator. He wants to create cool shit. And then when he creates shit that's cool but otherwise flawed, he's like, okay, that was fun. I'm going to scrap that, move on to the next thing. You know, he, he's a... He's, He's someone, (laughs) he's an artist, right, where he creates art, he puts so much into it, he tries to figure it out every way he can, and then he does it, and it's there, and he's made this beautiful thing that that can thrive and exist, and he says, oh, I hate it, I'm moving on to the next thing, and I'm, I'm disregard, I'm discarding this, I'm either gonna forget it or destroy it. The only difference is he's doing this with lives that he's creating. And it's like, they don't get into the debate of like, are these things alive if he creates them? You know, like, are we going to argue that these animal people are real people? They don't do that. They just accept that these are lives and that these are real casualties. You know, uh, he creates a turtle man and then he kills it. And you're supposed to feel like horrified by that. Um And then that's that just should, like it's enough to tell you the kind of character the high evolutionary is. He has no regard for other life forms. He just wants to make cool shit, uh, and that sucks. He's an asshole, and the way that he caged and tortured and manipulated animals like Rocket and Rocket's friends is again just a testament to how evil he is. You know, he, he, even even Thanos, who turned like one of his daughters into a robot. Even he shed a tear when he had to kill Gamora to get the Soul Stone. But the High Evolutionary only cares about himself, and he cares about what he creates, and as far as, you know, look what I did, look what I put together, isn't that cool? Like, 
if he had any pride in Rocket, it was that he he made something cool, and that's Rocket. And, and Rocket's only cool because the High Evolutionary made him, and that Rocket is impressive, you know? Um, but yeah, dude, High Evolutionary, he's just a... He's a heavy hitter. Um, I, I think he will come back, because even though they beat him and they leave him inside of an exploding space station, they don't show him actually die. So, like, I'm kind of following that rule of, like, unless I see a body, he isn't dead. And uh, I hope that's the case, because his performance, his his character, even even his abilities are interesting. Because the most he can do is just telekinesis, which is, like, whatever, pretty basic stuff. But more in that he's, his science, his super science is in creating life and gene splicing and doing all this messed up stuff with creating superhumans you could bring him back as like a a background character or like a a shadowy villain of like oh man where are all these goons coming from where are all these you know minions coming from that are working for this character and then the final reveal is the high evolutionary being like yeah i've been working for this guy for a while trying to get my my business startup you know going again Basically, I make him super monsters to, you know, facilitate his crimes. And in return, I get, like, funding and stuff so I can repair myself and go back to space. Like, you could do something like that with the High Evolutionary. Um, And I hope they do, because I think he's a really uh, fun, easy-to-hate kind of character that we've kind of been missing from these movies. Notes. Let's uh let's 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 do these real quick. Let's shoot out of the park here. Um more of the Ravengers, please. They're fun. Give Stallone his own Ravengers show, please. Thank you. Um I'm really upset that the robot voice like the robot head that's on the Ravengers isn't voiced by Miley Cyrus anymore. That that sucked. <laughs> Get her back, damn it. That's that's the voice of the robot head. Um great locations. I loved all like the organic planet stuff the orga orga corp or whatever it's called um it's like the 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 organics manufacturing thing that high evolutionary set up it's like a planet made out of skin and the interior is all bones and there's piss water everywhere (laughs) and all the guards are wearing like flesh suits oh it's so gross and weird and i love it I, i think it's super cool it's it's super creative um I like that a lot. I like the settings in this movie a whole lot. Um, best trilogy, easily. Um, and this is coming from someone who really loves the Captain America trilogy and the Spider-Man trilogy. I really think Guardians has the best trilogy of movies. And the real inciting factor to that is, like, the second movie is just as good, if not better, than the first one. And the third movie is probably better than both of them. I don't know. I I am really leaning more on this being the best trilogy. It's it's either this, the Cap trilogy, or the Spider Man trilogy for me. Um, let's see. Oh, there's a scene where Mantis uses her brainwashing powers to make Cosmo the dog think that she's stronger than she is. Um, why doesn't Mantis do that all the time? You know, like if Drax is about to go into a big fight, why not? Man- I guess she isn't like manipulating her friends' emotions. But, like, giving everyone the placebo effect and making them all feel strong, that, that could be useful. It might get them killed, but it, might, it could be useful, too. Um, there's payoffs everywhere in this. Uh, I mentioned how Kraglin figures out how to use the whistling arrow after failing with it at the beginning of the movie. 
Um, there's a payoff with Mantis and Peter having a conversation about Peter's grandfather, who's still on Earth. Uh, and there's a payoff with these gravity boots. Like, Rocket is just, like, testing them out at the beginning of the movie. And then later on when he's fighting um, the High Evolutionary, the, the gravity boots, like, come in handy. Like, they, they come in clutch and they help Rocket defeat the High Evolutionary. Um, really good about that. Um, I liked, uh, let's see. The way this movie handles death is interesting because going into it, everyone expected one of the Guardians to die. Like, they, there's a scene of, like, Nebula carrying Peter, so people thought, oh, Star-Lord's gonna die. Of course he is. Like, he doesn't have Gamora anymore. What else is he gonna do with this character? Or, oh, Rocket's gonna die. The whole movie's about him you know, the whole movie's about him, so maybe he'll die at the end. He'll be a, mar- a martyr, you know? Um, even in the movie, there's a lot of fake-outs. Um, there's a fake-out of Quill dying in space. There's a fake-out of um, Mantis almost getting eaten by a monster. Uh, Drax getting shot in the back. There's a lot of, like, fake-out deaths in this movie. And nobody dies. And I love that. Like, nobody has to die for there to be stakes, clearly. Like, you're supposed to care about these characters and care that they make it out alive. And by the end, like, yeah, why would any of them need to be dead for you to feel something at the end? You, you, they, they want you to feel happy. They don't want to end this on a death. That'd be, that would suck. Um, even if it was something sacrificial. The other thing, too, is that there's no death of, like, a main character in this movie. Because in in every other Guardian's adventure, someone has died. Right? Like, in Guardians 1... Everyone thought that Groot, that Groot died. And essentially he did and he was reborn. But still, everyone thought Groot died. Um, in the second movie, Yondu dies. And that leaves a big impression on, on Peter and Kraglin. In Infinity War, Gamora dies. You know? And then here in Guardians 3, nobody dies. And even then, in, in Infinity War, a bunch of the Guardians get snapped out of existence. So... You know, in a way, Rocket is, like, the only one that hasn't died or been evaporated before. And in this movie, it's all about him, like, them preventing him from dying, uh, which I think is really smart. Uh, we talked about Peter's stages of guilt. We talked about uh, the pick-on-your-own-size metaphor. Um, oh, here we go. So this movie, again, I said before, it's a lot darker than before it deals with a bit more you know heavy stuff there's some animal cruelty in this movie you know it's not it's not too um explicit it's more implied than anything else um you are meant to feel super bad for baby rocket raccoon you're supposed to feel bad for rocket and like his animal friends he's got like a walrus that has tires and like an otter with robot arms and then the bunny with spider legs it's it's some real Toy Story 1 bullshit with these poor animals. Um, but you're supposed to feel bad for them. And, and every time they'd flash back to Rocket being a little kid and having these animal friends in the cages, you know, oh, I just felt so bad because I knew, I knew bad stuff was going to happen to them. Um, but it's supposed to do that, man. It's supposed to explain to you why Rocket's the way he is. It's supposed to make you feel bad. I know there's a lot of talk with movies about, like, oh, they just want to manipulate your emotions. And it's like, the movie's supposed to make you care, you know? And showing me Rocket as a, as a baby probably wouldn't have been enough for me to care about Rocket, 
you know? But showing him as a baby, showing him grow up with these other animal friends and then losing them, and then basically having to go feral in order to escape and, like, get some freedom from this whole thing, it's it's rough, dude. And it, it does affect you. There's, like, Little Rocket crying because his friends are dead. Oh, my God, dude. I I can remember it so vividly, and I feel like I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. Just the sound of a, like, younger Rocket, Bradley Cooper, crying over his dead friend. It's so heart-wrenching, dude. And I don't think... I don't think it's wrong to put that in the movie. I know people talk about how, like, oh, I can't take my kids to see this now. It's it's too sad. This is, you know, terrible. And, and, and it's, you know, it's too much. It's too dark, you know. But, like, I don't know, dude. I think it's, it's responsibly dark. I think it is subtly horrific. I don't think it's too much to handle, you know, after everything. I probably wouldn't show this to a little kid either, but, like... I, I don't I don't want to like knock the film for that. You know, the point was to make you feel something. The point was to make you sympathize with Rocket and understand why he's so messed up as a person. And in doing this and showing this backstory for him, you get kind of new avenues to his character where he's like he wants to save all these other animals that are in cages. And even though he knows it's tough and it's sad, like like, basically, when he finds these cages as, like, an adult, like, like, Rocket's an adult, he's there, he sees a cage of baby raccoons, and he's like, I have to save them so they don't die or end up like I did. And then he's picking up the baby raccoons, and then he's looking around, and there's, like, ducks and goats and horses and shit, like, there's a bunch of other caged animals, and he's crying to himself because he doesn't know if he can save all these animals before this, the ship explodes. And then, fortunately, his friends show up and help him, because they love Rocket and they want to help him free these animals. And then all these animals get off the ship and now they just live <laughs> in nowhere with all these alien refugees and the guardians and stuff. And it's and it's cool, it's fine. And like it's it's so hard for me to get upset about the animal cruelty in this movie. Because it like ends with this like animal positive notion, you know? Like Rocket realizes that like animals shouldn't be treated cruelly and it's like his responsibility to help them it's 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 a payoff right sorry there's a garbage truck outside which means the dog is coming over too hi honey buns yes i'm talking about animals and stuff you're not involved come here (laughs) but yeah you know the animal cruelty is there it's sad but there's a payoff to it you know, and the payoff is that these animals are freed and they get to just live on nowhere and, you know, be cool. Like, And again, at the end of this, the, the new Guardians of the Galaxy are made up of three animals. A raccoon, a dog, and some weird animal, like alien animal. Um, and that's like, it's interesting, you know? I guess when part of the team is a literal animal person, there should be a bit more you know, animal representation in the cast or, or on the team or whatever. Um, it just makes sense to me, dude. It it wouldn't make any sense to me if Rocket, like, just left with only the raccoons and he didn't free the other animals. Um, I just like that a lot. And I, I like that... I'm not... I'm not, like, a PETA person, you know? But I love animals. 
So, it really warmed my heart at the end of this to see Rocket save all the animals. It really did. It really touched me in a good way. Um, not in a weird way. Not in a weird, uncomfortable way. So, getting into the future, um, from what we know about this, show, this uh, movie series, let's talk about some, some future notes, guys. Um, so, the new Guardians of the Galaxy are led by Rocket. Groot is there. Uh, Adam Morlock is there. Cool. Um, that means Will Poulter gets to wear less makeup because he gets a uniform now. Um, Phylavel is one of the children rescued from High Evolutionary Ship. Um, and she's like a, I guess, genetically made humanoid character. She, she's a science experiment humanoid who is like a superpowered child. In the comics, she is related to uh, the Captain Marvel family. And she's a pretty, like, I would say, like, a, 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 what's the word? A cult classic? No, because she's not really classic. It's more like she's, she's a cult following in the comics. She's a, uh, I, I would say, like, un, not underutilized. I don't know what I'm trying to say, dude. She's a lesser known, but otherwise pretty beloved character in the comics. Uh, so in this, she gets to show up and be, like, a, a kid and be on the Guardians of the Galaxy. So... Hopefully next time we see her, um, she is an adult. I mean, she's a, she's an experiment from the human from the high evolutionary. So, I don't think it'd be weird to be like next movie she aged up into her late teens because she has accelerated aging, or at least aging to the point where she's an adult and like she stays at her prime age of like twenty five or something. Whatever. The point is, Philovel is a cool character from the comics. She's here as a kid and she's gonna be here for the foreseeable future. Which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's Rocket, Gru, Adam Warlock, Phylavel. Um, that was funny too, because before I realized it was Phylavel, um, just seeing a white-haired kid on the team, I was like, oh, I guess they just picked like the best kid from the collection of kids they got and put them on the hero team. Um, and then Cosmo the Space Dog, obviously. We love that. Kraglin, that's cool that he's he's getting some more like frontline attention. And then... Uh, I don't think they ever named this thing, but <laughs> it's like a little orange furry alien that becomes Adam Warlock's, Adam Warlock's pet. Um, I don't know if that thing has a name. I'm going to look it up real quick. But when I saw it, the CGI for it's really bad, I gotta say. But when I saw it, it reminded me of um, Wild Mutt from the Ben 10 live action movie, the first one. Uh, cause that's just, like the quality of the CGI. Uh, okay, Blurp is the name of his pet. So weird. Oh, it's so ugly. I don't even remember them ever calling it Blurp. Oh my god, yeah, no, it just, it just looks like Wild Nut, but with eyes and ears. Oh, man, I gotta do an edit of that where Blurp just looks like Wild Mutt. I think we can make it happen. I'm gonna work on that. Um, but, 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 like, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, but that's, that's the Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of this. Rocket Groot, Adam Warlock, Phylavel, Kraglin, Cosmo the Space Dog, um, Blurp, and that's it. <laughs> it's a weird team. Again, half of the team is, like, uh, you know, a dog, a space dog, and a rocket raccoon. <laughs> and then the other half is, like, two adult, two adult men... One of them is like a child's man. 
one of them is a little there's another one that's a child and there's one that's a rock man or not, sorry not a rock man he's a tree man he's huge though he's, he's giant by the end grew he's really big um but yeah i wouldn't mind the guardians movie about these guys or at least like a show or something i don't know what they'll do maybe they'll do another like not a christmas special but like a one hour special about this new guardians team um that's idea one i also like the idea of star lord star lord getting his own show based on earth because at the end of this they put up this thing that says uh like in the post credit scene and stuff they put up a thing that says the legendary star lord will return and like just based on the font and the fact that they called him the legendary star lord i'm like okay the legendary star lord sounds like a show you'd put on disney plus and it's about star lord like just living on earth and maybe he gets up to some oh excuse me he gets up to some superhero business or or what <laughs> uh i don't think it's a bad idea again i i like star lord from this i guess it would be cool because you could give him a show based on earth and you can have segments where you cast like a young actor to play like a teenage chris pratt and you show some of his space adventures growing up with yondu there there you go that way you get to bring michael rooker back to play yondu you get to cast some kid to play young peter quill and tell about their adventures before Peter Quill went solo. And, you know, that could fill some gaps. That'd be cool. I'd like that. Um, and then idea three for, like, an actual, like, show spinoff from this. And I like this the most. I think they should do a Guardians of the Galaxy show on Disney+. Plus, or at least, like, a, a, a one-hour special. And you have it based kind of like one of those... Um, where are they now segments uh, that you'd see on like MTV or, or some other channel. Like anytime, you, you know, they, they do those specials that's like, okay, this band broke up in 1997. Where are the members of the band now? What are they doing with their lives? Kind of like 60 seconds, I guess. But you do that for the Guardians because the whole theme there, volume one, volume two, volume three, <laughs> all the music in these movies is that the Guardians are, you know, a family and they're a band. And they say several times, you know, the band's breaking up, and that means the band's over. Um, so you can do that trope of, like, after the Guardians broke up, where are they now? You know, like, like a couple months later, what are these characters doing now? Because they leave that open, too. You know, they leave it where it's, like, Drax is, I guess, raising all of the kids in nowhere. Mantis is just, like, running through the galaxy with her giant alien space monsters rockets leading the guardians of the galaxy a whole new team with new members and everything you know star lord's on on, on earth living a normal life gamora's with the ravengers like you can you can do a thing that's like where are they now and you know it's a one-hour thing and you just see what all the characters are doing now and you can do it kind of like wandavision did it where you know you have a scene of like rocket trying to run like a training mission with his new guardians and, like, Kraglin keeps messing up, and Adam Warlock keeps messing up. And, like, it cuts over to Rocket sitting in a chair talking to the camera, being like, Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not much of a leader, but everyone seems to think that I have it in me. And, you know, I'm just working with a lot of new personalities who, who get on my nerves, you know. Like, you can do talking head segments and frame it like it's a documentary. I think that'd be really cool. That's, between the three ideas, that's what I would want most as, like, a streaming thing after this. Um, other than that, we talked about how maybe the High Evolutionary is still alive, maybe he can show up in other stuff. I like the idea of more of his experiments being out there and interacting with stuff, you know? 
Like, like the next time we do a space movie, uh, you know, we, we can have a planet of like, I don't know, tow people. And it's like, whoa, what the, why do you guys exist? What is this? It's like, oh, no, we're not naturally occurring. We were created by this guy called the High Evolutionary. Because, like, assumedly his projects are still out there. I know he destroys a bunch of them, but it'd be kind of interesting if, like, one or two characters we meet in the future are the result of the High Evolutionary. Um, and then my last thing is, like, you know, if we don't get a show or a movie spinoff from Guardians 3... I would appreciate seeing the Guardians in other people's movies. I think, you know, The Marvels is a movie that's coming up with um, Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan. Um, it would be kind of cool if the Guardians cameoed in that, since it has to do with space. You know, there you go. You know, maybe there's a scene where they call them in, or there's a post-credit where, I don't know, Kamala Khan is invited to be on the Guardians, and she's like, I can't. I gotta go back to Earth. I'm sorry. I can't hang out with Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Oh, it's so upsetting. Um, and it can also fit in the third Doctor Strange movie, because sometimes the magic uh, dimensional stuff kind of delves into space stuff, but I, don't, I won't hold out hope with that. Just like in the future going forward, if we're not getting Guardians 4, having the Guardians show up in other movies would be fine, you know? Even if, like, Adam Warlock eventually got his own movie, to have him be like, all right, well, I train with the Guardians, it's time for me to strike out on my own and, and try to be a hero elsewhere in the galaxy, you know? Um, but yeah, that's all my notes, that's all the future stuff. If you couldn't tell, I was really into this movie. Um, I really do think it's a great return to form, and I'm, you know, it's sad to see it end. It's sad to see these characters go. Um, again, I shed a lot of tears over this movie. Um, but I loved it, and I think you should, you should see it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just super good. It, it's super good to have a Marvel movie that I really enjoyed without there being a caveat to it, you know, without there being, like, a, a catch to enjoying it. Um, but yeah, go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Thank you guys for listening to my, uh, my podcast, my review, and being so patient with all of these. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll catch you guys next time, and I'll see you later. Bye-bye.